Jonah chapter 3, and we'd like to begin reading there at verse 1. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes." And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands." Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can open this book and be instructed by your spirit. We thank you for every word because we know that every word of God is pure. We thank you, Father, that this word is forever settled in heaven, and you brought it down here to earth by inspiration and preservation, that we might hold it in our hands and know what's all of the things that you have done for us, the things that you have made available to us, and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed on our behalf, that we might have that life living through us every day. Father, we're not worthy to receive these things, but how we thank you for a place like this where we can come aside in relative peace and and safety and comfort and look into the pages of this book. We know that men and women have died for their confidence in this book, and we pray, Father, that we might have that same attitude, that we would be willing to die physically if need be, but definitely spiritually every single day dying to our desires that we might live unto you. We know that's what you're looking for, a contrite heart, a broken heart, a heart that is ready to receive what you have for us. We pray that we might have that this evening and that you would speak to us from your word. We thank you and praise you for your goodness and for your grace, for your your mercy all along life's way. We pray you'll speak to our hearts this evening and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We've been studying in the book of Jonah in recent messages. We looked at Jonah chapter 1 and saw that Jonah was called of God to go to Nineveh. But Jonah had another plan, as you know. He went in the opposite direction on a ship bound for Tarshish. But the Lord was not going to let Jonah get away with that foolishness. Uh, Jonah did not want to go to bring a message to Nineveh, because, at least for two reasons. Number one, he knew that Nineveh was predicted by the prophets as 
the capital of the Assyrian nation that was going to take the northern ten tribes captive and carry them away. He knew that was coming. And he knew that Nineveh was the heart, the capital of this Assyrian nation. And so he did not want to go there if it was going to mean that they would be, they would be uh, given an extended uh, grace by God to remain in the world. He thought maybe if he could go there and, and, and preach uh, a message of destruction and they could be destroyed, that would be wonderful. But he knew the Lord, and he knew that the Lord wouldn't send him there if there was not a hope for that message to touch hearts in Nineveh. And so he didn't want to go there because he knew it was going to prolong this Assyrian nation that was, that was already prophesied to be the end of the northern ten tribes. They were going to come and take those tribes captive, and he didn't want to see that. He loved his nation of Israel, and he, even though they were far away from God, he wanted to reach them, and he wanted to minister to them, and he wanted to, to, uh, to bless them and help them. Reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said when he said that he could, he, he could wish that himself were accursed from God for his brethren, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. Well, that was the passion of, uh, of Jonah. He wanted his nation to be blessed by God, and he wanted to see them turn around and repent, and he did not want to see the judgment that had already been lined up for them. But th there was another reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew about their cruelty. He knew they were a nation that needed to be destroyed. They were very cruel, even in terms of the Old Testament nations, many of whom had, had cruel practices in their warfare and in their uh, tyranny over the conquered peoples that they might, that they might uh, take over. But Nineveh was especially cruel, and the Assyrians who were there uh, documented their cruelty, and people dig up those ruins even today and see carvings and, and, uh, and, and uh, statues and different things that, that show the cruelty. They boasted in it, how cruel they could be to the people that, that uh, resisted them. And we're not going to go back into that. We talked about that in a previous message. But Jonah knew about all that, and he got on a boat going in the opposite direction. The Lord had a, had a plan for Jonah. Verse 4 of chapter 1 says, The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, so that the ship was like to be broken. Jonah, uh, the Lord was not going to let Jonah get away with that disobedience. The Lord gave him something to do, and he wouldn't do it. He went the other way. And because he went the other way, he got into a lot of trouble. And he also got other people into trouble. The people who are in the boat with him nearly perished. And so they're struggling hard against this tempest. And they can't, they can't, uh, they can't do anything about it. It's too great. Even though they were, they were experienced seamen, they could not bring the boat to a safe harbor. And we read in verse 10 of chapter 1, the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, for he had told them. And so the truth comes out. And Jonah says, look, the only thing you can do is toss me overboard. It's the only thing that's going to stop this storm. And he was willing to die. He was willing to die that these mariners uh, who weren't even, weren't even Jews, these were, these were heathen, heathen uh, mariners who did not worship the God of heaven. And he's, he was considerate for them at least to say, you throw me overboard and, and you all will be okay because it'll stop the storm. And so they, they tried to get him to land. They rode hard, the Bible says in verse 13 of chapter 1, but they couldn't do it. The sea wrought, it was tempestuous against them. And so they end up throwing Jonah overboard. And Jonah figures that's probably the end of things for him. He, he knew he was going away from the presence of the Lord. He knew the Lord had something for him to do, but he didn't want to do it. And, and now he's going to die for it. But into the water he goes. The Bible tells us in the last verse 
of first chapter that the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. The Lord had a storm. The Lord had a storm to stop Jonah's mad career, but he also had a great fish to save Jonah, save him and bring him in the direction that the Lord wanted him to go. And we talked about how the Lord does the same thing in our lives. The Lord gives us things to do. Every one of us as his people has a, a work to do for God. It may not be some big glorious thing that we might, you know, the world might look at and say, well, there's a wonderful, there's a wonderful servant of the Lord. But there are little things that need to be done everywhere. There are things that are important for us to be involved in. Using the skills and talents and, and the, the uh, spiritual understanding that God's given us to do what he's called us to do. We all have a circle of influence. And in that circle, we are the Jonah. We are the prophet that God has sent into that circle of friends and family in a certain way that's different than anyone else. And our influence is different than every, single, every other single person influence can be. Are we using it for the Lord? Are we doing what God wants us to do? Well, how did Jonah find out what the Lord wanted him to do? The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And that's what we're doing tonight, looking into God's word. We need to be faithful in the place where we hear the preaching of God's word. And we are this evening. We've come into a place where we can hear it. And it's in the word of God that we find out the will of God. But not only in the, in the congregation, which is so important, to fellowship with one another, to have ideas, bounce off one another about what the Lord's doing and how he's working in our life and in the lives of others. All that is so much a part of it. But also we need to open the Bible in our home. Now sometimes people can have trouble reading. They just they try to read, they read a verse or two, and they just can't seem to read the scriptures. But there are other ways that we can get into it at home if we have trouble reading. It's best to read. It's best to spend time in the printed word of God. That's so important. But I found out as I ministered out at the nursing home where we go each Sunday that there are people who are unable for physical reasons or even whatever. They, they can't hold a Bible and read it. They just can't do it. And they tell me that. And even though they have a large print Bible and they try to read it, it's very difficult for them. And what they have found is that they get the Bible on a CD or on a, on a tape and they, they will listen to it that way. They listen to the word of God and they say that it's such a blessing to them to be able to feast on God's word by listening to it. Even though they have so much trouble reading it, they can listen to it. And we could do that too. You could do that. Maybe if you have trouble reading, you can listen and you can get the Bible being read by such good readers as Alexander Scorby and others. You can get those on CD and you can listen to the entire Bible over a period of time if that's an easier way for you to, to absorb it. But we need to meditate on God's word, whether we're listening or reading, whatever we can do. We need to fill our lives with it because it was the word of the Lord that told Jonah what he needed to do. I can't tell you what you need to do. The preacher in the church can't tell you what you need to do. The elders of the church, they can't tell you what God's will is for you in specific things. But you can find out if you want to know. Do you want to use your life for God's glory? Well, then, like Jonah, you need to hear the word of the Lord. So Jonah was headed the wrong way. And sometimes when we hear the word of the Lord, we do the same thing. We say, wait a minute, Lord. I, I, I prayed that you would show me what you wanted me to do with my life, how I could be an influence for you. Well, how can I help out at the church or the school or, or in my community, in my family? What can I do that would help promote the gospel message and would bring you in front of other people that I care about so much? What could I do? And the Lord shows us. <laughs> 
He shows us very clearly. He says, here's what I want you to do. We said, well, uh, uh, that, was not, that wasn't on my list, Lord. I, I've got, I've got a, a, a few things here that I'd like for you to pick from these because this is what I have in mind to do. <laughs> the Lord says, you can throw that list away. I'll show, you, I'll show you what I want you to do. All you need to do is do it. You just need to do it when I make it plain to you. And sometimes we're headed the wrong way. But the Lord has a tempest. He has a tempest in store for us too. And he will bring us down, just like he brought Jonah down. He will preserve us through it, but we think we're going to die. Just like Jonah, no doubt, thought he would die when he went over the edge of the boat. But the Lord had a, a great fish to swallow up Jonah and preserve him for three days in the belly of a fish and carry him back to land and vomit him out on the shore so that he could go and do what God gave him to do. So Jonah was in that fish, and in chapter 2, we read about his prayer. We read about him praying there to the Lord. But you notice something about Jonah's prayer. I'm sure you did when we went over it before. There's not one word in it of petition. Everything in it is praise. He's, he's either praising the Lord, or he, or he is, uh, he is uh, turning toward the Lord and, and talking about his humility before God, his brokenness, and how he wants the Lord to bless him. But there's, there's, no, there's no petition here. He doesn't say, Lord, save me out of this fish's belly. That's not in this prayer. He just talks about what's happening in the prayer. He says, I went down, verse 6, to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. He's just praising the Lord for what the Lord can do. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. And then he prays, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And that was Jonah. He, had, he, had, he had, was forsaking his own mercies. He was, he was observing a lying vanity, a lying emptiness. And the empty lie that he was observing was that he could go where he wanted to go and do what he wanted to do. You can't do that. Not in God's service. You've got to go where the Lord sends you and do what he wants you to do. And that's the only way to be happy. Are we fighting against God tonight? Is, there, is, there, is that in your life? Uh, I don't know, but you know. Are you fighting against the Lord? Is he, is he telling you he wants you to do some things? And, and you're saying, whoa, 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 I, I'm, not, I'm not ready for that. We need to just do what God sets in front of us to do. The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, the Lord will arrange the circumstances so things come our way. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. That's how we serve God. Ruts right in front of us. Do it for God's glory. And he'll show the next step and the next one and the next one. And that's what he did for Jonah. He brought Jonah back to land. And the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So here we are back on the dry land. Now, it's, we can't know exactly for sure how much Nineveh knew about Jonah before he got there. But it's very possible that these these sailors who were in this ship that was in the storm uh, would have turned back to Joppa because they would have been pretty beaten up by this tempest. And so when the tempest ceased, they probably had to take their boat back to Joppa. And if they did, they would have reported all that happened to Jonah and what was going on with them in, the, in that storm and why they had come back to the port. And the news would spread from there. And it wouldn't be hard to guess that that news might even travel to Nineveh before Jonah even got there. They may have known in Nineveh about the story of Jonah before he ever walked into the city, and if, if, if that's possible. We don't know that for sure, but that could very well have taken place. 
And some of the accounts that we read of people, and there are accounts of people actually being swallowed by, by whales and by other uh, creatures in the sea, uh, the few accounts that actually are available are pretty interesting. Uh, one, one of them was, uh, was in a storm where a sailor was, uh, was lost overboard in the storm, and then the, uh, and then the, uh, uh, the storm cleared, and the, the uh, sailors on the boat spotted, spotted a whale. So they were hunting whale, and so they went after the whale, and they, they speared the whale, and they, they got it up to the ship, and they start cutting the blubber off of the whale like they do, and that's what, that was the purpose of getting it, was to sell that. And so they were taking this whale apart, and, uh, and, and they noticed that there was the, uh, the stomach portion of the whale was, was like spasmodically moving back and forth. And so they thought that was kind of weird. So they hauled that thing up into the boat and cut it open. And there was the sailor that, was, that, was, that had lost overboard in the storm. That he was in the, in the belly of the fish. And he was pretty much unconscious, but he was alive. And they, so they kept him, uh, they got him back into consciousness and he was stark raving mad is what he was when he came back to consciousness he 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 was uncontrollable and just just mad and so they put him in the captain's cabin and they took care of him for a few weeks he slowly came back out of it and when he came back out of it he he said that he was swallowed by that by that thing and and he was in there and he he he, he was look, trying to he didn't know where he was trying to feel around how he could get out he couldn't get out and uh and so then he started to panic and in the panic he just passed out he went unconscious Anyway, it's a, it, it, that, kind of a, that kind of a story is interesting. But one thing that happened in that particular one was they said that his, when they got him out, his face, uh, the skin of his face and his neck and his arms and hands was, was just almost pure white. And it was from the, from the I guess, the gastric juices inside the, inside the whale there uh, started to work on his skin. And it made his skin all just a, just a pure white, like a, they said, like a parchment paper his skin became. But anyway, I don't know if Jonah had anything like that as a physical result of being in that great fish. Perhaps he did. I don't know. But if he, if he walked, if this, they knew about his story uh, in Nineveh and he walked in looking like that, that might explain why the whole place would be serious about listening to him. I don't know. I would be if, if that somebody walked in looking like that. But anyway, whether that's you know, we don't have that in the Word of God, so we can't say that's a fact, but, but perhaps it was. But anyway, so we come to chapter 3, and the Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I'll tell you what, those are some of the most precious words in the Bible right there to me. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The Lord is the God of the second time. He's the God of the second time. We may have failed the Lord miserably. We may have been a poor testimony in front of a lost world, just like Jonah was. We may have have taken a a turn in our life that we think there's no recovery from. And yet, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The Lord still has something for you to do. If you're not in heaven yet, guess what? That's because God has something for you to do. Because when he's through with you in this world, you're out of here. You're leaving this world, whether there's a young person or an elderly person. You know, we're going out of here when the Lord's through with us. And so if you're still here, that proves that the Lord is not through with you yet. And you may feel an utter failure in some way or other, but the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Take heart. Take heart in that. And let the Lord use you the way he intends. 
And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The Lord's word didn't change. The message, still the same. And he says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Same thing I told you before. That great city and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. You don't have to make up something. You don't have to figure out what to say. You don't have to make something happen in your ministry for the Lord. You just preach what I tell you to preach. You just say what I tell you to say. Be the influence that I want you to be in your circle of influence. And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. No, no fighting with the Lord here. He's going to go ahead and do what God said to do. The Lord's plan didn't change. The Lord's word didn't change. The Lord's concern for Nineveh didn't change. But Jonah changed. And we can change. We can have a different attitude to what the Lord has set before us to do. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. The, uh, the modern critics scoff at just about everything in the book of Jonah. And they scoff at this. How could a city be three days journey? A day's journey was about 20 miles. That'd make the city 60 miles. No city was 60 miles. Hey, we've been over there, they say, to dig up the archaeology of the city of Jonah, uh, city of uh, Nineveh, and we find that it's not anywhere near 60 miles, uh, 60 miles city. But I want to show you something. Uh, the word of the Lord is true. Turn to Genesis chapter 10. And where we'll find the first mention of Nineveh, Genesis chapter 10, and look with me at verse 11. This is right after the, the uh, well, if you notice, let's see, let's look at verse 8, Genesis 10 and verse 8, and Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Eric, and Akkad, and Calneh in the land of Shinar. So this is Nimrod, and you remember Nimrod, he's of the, the famous Tower of Babel, which we'll read about in Genesis chapter 11. But look at chapter 10 and verse 11. Out of that land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Calah, and reasoned between Nineveh and Calah, the same as a great city. Now, these four cities that are mentioned here are all in the same general area on the Tigris River. Uh, some of them have been found and some of them haven't, but Nineveh has been excavated and uh, Kayla has been excavated. Uh, Reason was, was situated between Nineveh and Kayla and Rehoboth. And those, those cities, those four cities uh, are all together in, this, in these verses here. And the last thing that it says about them is the same as a great city. Now, does that phrase at the end refer to the last city mentioned, Kayla? Kayla was not a significant city, not a significant city. So it wouldn't seem like that would be the one that would be mentioned. Maybe it was reason. Maybe reason was the great city. But I believe it's all four of these cities together. And they formed, they were close together, and they formed a quadrangle, if you connected them together. They formed an area that was thought of as the precinct or, or, the, uh, or, or the general governmental area of Nineveh. Nineveh controlled that whole area and these other cities as well. And so if you take all those cities together and look at that, that four-sided uh, figure, you might say, that, that joins those four cities, they, uh, go all the way around them, go all the way around their perimeter, it's about 60 miles. It's about three days' journey. To go all the way around, 
those, those cities that were all part of that precinct, as you might say, of, of Nineveh. I thought that was very interesting to see that the Bible has the answer to everything. And if you just look, you, you can see it yourself. Uh, let's go back to, let's go back to uh, Jonah. And so this city was a three, three days journey. That could refer to the perimeter of those four cities and that whole area where Jonah would be preaching. It could refer to... It could refer to um, also to three days journey in the sense of as he went through the city preaching, going down all the different areas of the city, it would take three days to cover all parts of the city. It could mean that as well. But I thought it was very interesting that those four cities in Genesis are called the same as a great city after mentioning all four of them. Anyway, so Jonah went to Nineveh. He arose and went to Nineveh, chapter 3 and verse 3. According to the word of the Lord, Nineveh was, a, was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the message is pretty plain, pretty straightforward. He says, It's all over for you all. You're going to be overthrown. You're going to be destroyed. War is coming to the city. It's going to take it. It's going to destroy it. And it's going to happen quickly in 40 days. That's a short period of time to get things changed, to get things right, to make a change. 40 days is what you have, and then your city will be overthrown. Well, the preaching that we have to bring to other people is along those same lines. It's not a very pleasant message. The message of the Bible is not particularly pleasant to the natural man because the Bible says that we're all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And who wants to hear that? Nobody wants to hear that kind of message. And not only that, but we're, our time in this world is limited. We're all going to die. And that's what this is saying. 40 days and it's all over. And we don't know if we have four minutes or 40 days or 40 years. We don't know. We need to think about the fact that we're leaving this world. And so the message that Jonah preached to Nineveh is not any different than the message we carry to the people we minister to. It's not a pleasant message at all. But the people of Nineveh believed God. Now that is a miracle. You talk about a miracle. Jonah being swallowed by a great fish and being carried back to land, that's considered a tremendous miracle. But here's a greater one, I think, that this city, this big city, this heathen city, and these other cities around it, probably with a population at least of 600,000, if you can go by the last verse of of the uh, book of Jonah, where it says there were 120,000 who didn't know their right hand from their left hand, that would be children, young children. If there were that many young children this, in this area, there had to be about 600,000 or more people. And so this huge city, I mean, Raleigh, the city of Raleigh only has about 500,000 in it. So we're talking about a city, more people than are in the city of Raleigh. And they believed God at the preaching of Jonah, and they, they did something about it. It wasn't just, a, it wasn't just a, a believing in word only. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. They denied themselves and put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is a, is a, is a garment made out of goat's hair that's very rough, and they put that on to have it against their skin to remind them of the problem that was, they were in, the danger they were in. And from the greatest of them even to the least of them, everybody, Everybody that could hear the message of Jonah believed it. 
And the word came unto the king of Nineveh, the very king of that area. And he arose from his throne and laid off his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. So from the top of the society all the way to the bottom of the society, everybody was involved in this repentance. The word came unto the king, and he got involved, and he caused it to be proclaimed, verse 7, and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. So he had people go out and tell it verbally, and he had people publish it and write it. So in written form and in verbal form, he got the message out. He wasn't just sitting in the ashes doing nothing. He was making sure everybody under his, under his authority was getting the word out. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Even the animals were on a fast. Even the animals were denied food and water. So that every part of the society could be, could be concentrated on praying about this thing. And that's what he says here in verse, in verse uh, 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. So not only were they uh, in a humble way externally, they were crying to God. The word God here is the, the word for the creator. You know, there are different names of God in the Old Testament. And the Bible is very careful to keep them separate. Jehovah is the covenant God that Israel prayed to. People who had come into a covenant relationship with God, they were calling on Jehovah. But this word here is Elohim. This is the word for the creator God, the one who made the worlds. That's, that's what's in view here. And these heathen people called upon even the creator of the world to save them, to, to, turn, to turn away this judgment. And they cried mightily unto God. Yet he let them turn everyone from his evil way. See, they also were repenting of the evil deeds that they were doing. They weren't just saying, we're going to add God to what we're, Jonah's God to what we already do and add it to our religion so that we can have the benefit of that God. No, they were turning everyone from their evil way. They recognized what was wrong. I don't know if Jonah preached more than the few words that there would be 40 days and, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We don't know. It's not recorded. I would think that he probably expounded on that and expanded on that. People that heard it would want to ask him questions and say, well, what are you talking about? Or what, who is this God? Or, you know, what, what do we need to do? He, he may have said more than just these few words as he went around the area. We don't know. But they knew somehow, maybe just through their conscience, maybe just through their conscience or from what they had heard about the God uh, of Israel from other accounts. But they knew enough to turn away from what they knew were evil ways. And, you know, that's pretty plain in all of our hearts. We don't have to have a, 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 a seminary degree to know what sin is. We all know when we're doing something wrong. We all know when it's not what the Lord would have us do or what, what we should be doing. We have that conscience. We have that conscience. And they knew what their ways were. And they knew their ways were evil. And they are willing to turn away from them and from the violence that was in their hands. And they said this, verse 9, who can tell if God will turn and repent? Who can tell if this creator God will do something different than what he's proclaimed through his prophet? We don't know. We don't know if he will or not. But we're going to try to pray. We're going to pray. We're going we're to uh, uh, deny ourselves our, our normal food. We're going to wear this sackcloth. We're going to cry mightily unto God. And we're going to turn away from anything that we know that's evil. We know it's wrong. We're going to turn away from it. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And notice verse 10. God saw their works. God saw their works. 
Not their words, not their words, their works. He saw that there was something changing in their life. There was true repentance. And true repentance will always be accompanied by a change in life. It's a change in the mind and heart that produces a change in the life. That's what repentance is. And you can say all you want to. You can, you can, you can join all you want to. You can, you can uh, turn over every new leaf you want to. But you've got to have that attitude of heart that you're turning away from what you know is wrong and turning toward the Lord. That's what real repentance is. And it'll have evidence. God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. They weren't just playing at it. They weren't just pretending it. They actually did it. And God repented him of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. They were delivered because they prayed to the Lord and repented of their sin. And that's what we're hoping for in the lives of the people we minister to. We want to see them turn away from their sin and turn toward the Lord, exactly the same as these people did. And the Lord worked this in this gigantic group of people. That's an amazing thing. That's a miracle, uh, I think, far greater than a, a big fish being able to swallow a man and keep him for a few days. I think this repentance is a much bigger miracle because you just don't see it. You can look through, you can look through all the annals of history. Uh, you won't find a, 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 uh, a large metropolitan area like this turning to the Lord like they did. You just won't find it. And, of course, the critics look at that and say, oh, psh, that's not going to happen. That can't be real. It's, this must be a made-up story. It's probably just a, you know, a, a legend that's made it into the Bible, and uh, we shouldn't give it much credence. But the word of the Lord is pure. And, and then you get over to the New Testament, and the Lord Jesus himself said, as it was in the days of Jonah, he said exactly, he, he said Jonah was a real person, and the things that happened to Jonah were real, and he testified of it himself. So if we can trust the Lord Jesus Christ, we can trust the book of Jonah. And we have this record of this tremendous repentance. And what God did in response to it, that's an encouragement to me. Because no matter how wicked we may have been, when we turn, from the Lord, turn away from our sin and turn toward the Lord, he is willing to turn away from the evil that's hanging over our head. We deserve eternal condemnation, but God's not going to give us that if we'll repent and receive him and do right. The Lord wants us to come to him, just like these people did. But in our ministry, the Lord wants the people we're ministering to to come to him. And we can't spare the message or change it or, you know, make it easier to handle. We've got to say the same thing that Jonah did. People have 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. They have a certain time allotted to them of God, and then it's over. And if they don't repent, they're going to be lost. We've got to communicate that in, in the best way we can, in, in, in the most helpful way we can, in the most forthright way we can. We've got to let people know what the truth is. We can't beat around the bush and say, well, you know, you just ought to come on and, and join us and, uh, and everything. You know, we've, we've got to deal with the issue. We have to. And people have to know this. They have to know. That, they, that their time in this world is limited and that they need to know the Lord today. They need now's the time to repent and be saved. But if we'll take that to people with a loving heart, we take that to people and we, we preach the word of God that we've been given, the Lord will work the work and the spirit of God will work on hearts and people will come to know him. We can't make anyone get saved. We can't as much as we'd like to. We can't, you know, uh, argue anybody into the kingdom, but we can pray. 
And we can labor in their direction with words that make a difference. Words that are lined up with exactly what's revealed in the word of God. We can do that. And the Lord, here and there, the Lord will break through in someone's life and draw them to himself. And we'll be able, like Jonah, to be profitable to God. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we thank you that you're the God of the second time. We pray that you'll help us, Lord, not to be discouraged or downcast or disheartened because of our own wickedness and our own sinfulness and our own unwillingness to do the things that you've given us to do. Help us, Lord, to just walk with you. You promised to go with us every step of the way and to tell us what to say, the preaching that I bid thee. You, you promised to give us that word that will be like apples of gold and pictures of silver. We pray, Father, that you will work in our hearts to help us to see how we can be the right kind of influence in our home, in our church family, and in this community, that you would be able to use us as a prophet in these last days to tell people the truth, to point them to the, the, the word of God that has the answers and has the plan for the days ahead. We just ask you to give us grace, Lord. Raise us up and strengthen us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.